I'll learn a talk on difficult people Sunday morning. Emory, 
um, Amir and Shira Shuster, Abichaim and Chavanaidich, who also extended wonderful hospitality for our guest, uh, Major Gavin Elisa Elman, Tamima High School, uh, Rabbi Daniel and Tova, Daniel and Tova Kopin, Shimon and Emma Kananeski, um, and others who I forgot. <laughs> so, and, and you'll learn how to forgive me from this talk. Um, so anyway, I'm going to get out of the way because we have limited time. Uh, Dr. Lieberman is going to catch his flight. He has a flight. Uh, uh, he has to leave here right at 11 o'clock. Um, but in addition to Dr. Lieberman's physical presence, uh, there's lots of opportunity to glean from his um, from his professional knowledge and his insight and his humor on a tour anytime. He has many books that are published. The show will try to send out a recap email uh, early this week in which we have published some of the recordings of the talks that we experienced this week, this weekend, in addition to links to uh, his, his website. So stay tuned for that. Without further ado, Dr. Lieberman. Thank you, Rabbi. Just so you know, usually we had about 30 seconds of the applause to die down before speaking. <laughs> I guess because we're running short on time, it's probably why Rabbi yeah, was limited, you know. Why else would it be? You know? All right, so successful relationships with difficult people. You know, the thing with difficult people is they don't know that they're difficult. And those of you who came here today, people, you know, maybe some difficult people in your life said, where are you going? And you're like, I'm going to go to learn how to deal with you. <laughs> you don't need to come. This is, this is for me. Now, one of the reasons why I enjoy speaking on this subject so much is because I found that no matter how many books I've written on personal development and self-growth, no, how much I, how much I spoke, speak about it and talk to people about it, if we have relationships that are wearing and tearing at us, it's very, very hard to move forward. Okay? Move this now. Okay, great. It's very, very hard to move forward in our lives. Right? And, you know, this is something we mentioned before, that, you know, sometimes we talk to Hashem like we're talking to the Mafia, that, you know, we like, we'd be so much more successful, so much better off, we'd be able to accomplish so much more if it weren't for you-know-who. So we think that, you know what, this person should just be out of our lives. But the first thing to remember is that everyone in our lives is custom-made, tailor-made for our good and for the, our growth. We have to ask ourselves, what is the message we're supposed to learn from this person? It could be our, uh, a child, a sibling, uh, a parent, a spouse, whomever it is who comes in and through our lives, right? Our question always is, what am I supposed to learn from this person? Just because somebody did something that we don't like doesn't mean that we should get angry as a result. I mentioned also before is that there's a saying in, in biology that cells are wired together, fired together. The connection between brains are called dendrites, uh, between uh, neurons, are called, the brain cells are called dendrites. Every time there's a stimulus and a response, that, that connection grows stronger. So we literally wire ourselves to be more or less angry. And we know people who have a hair trigger response sometimes, and they're just, their ego is off and running. Right? And that has a lot to do with the physiology, which is why if we're able to, and we're going to show you show how, but avoid the temptation of getting upset each and every time it sort of recalibrates our ability and it becomes easier and easier. And Chazal told us thousands of years ago, and psychology shows today, it takes as little as 21 to, uh, to 30 days to sort of rewire that neural network. It's a field called neuroplasticity, and it shows just how malleable the brain is. So we can literally wire ourselves or rewire ourselves and tip physiology in our favor. 
There's a guy who comes over to me in shul, and he goes, uh, you know, uh, I was davening shachas, and this guy's standing next to my, I uh, standing next to me, and he's on my talus. And gentlemen know exactly what the protocol is. Someone's on your talus, you give them the look. Yeah, and but this guy was ignoring the look. He was just there, eh, eh, and then you give the tug. And the guy still, he goes, I was getting furious. I was, and I, as he's telling me the story, I see veins popping. He goes, now look, he goes, Doc, I read your books. I listened to, I'm like, first off, don't tell anyone, like, like, you know, you're not a walking billboard for me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> tell me to go to Rabbi uh, Dr. Feldman better. Okay. Um, and he goes, uh, and he goes, and then what happens? I look over and I realize I'm standing on my own talus. And he goes, but I'm still angry with the guy. <laughs> because if he would have been davening a foot over, I never would have gotten confused. So, but that's what anger does. Anger, because I'll tell us, anger interferes with our das. We literally become dumb. What's fascinating is physiologically, when a person becomes angry, the brain releases a number of chemicals and uh, transmitters, uh, neurotransmitters. One of them is called cortisol, which is also called the stress hormone responsible for weight gain. It literally interferes with the prefrontal cortex and makes us dumb. It interferes with the ability to think. And we know from the Parsha, actually, just a couple weeks ago with Mitzvah, in Mitzrayim, you've got, you know, the frog, however you define it, came out, and then the Mitzrayim hit it, and then 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64. Uh, then I went into psychology, whatever, you know. <laughs> by the way, we have a modern-day example of that. In Lakewood, by the way, you have one house, and then you knock it down, and then up comes two-bedroom, two, uh, you know, like a townhouse, whatever. Even though the infrastructure can't support, you knock that down, then comes a duplex, then comes this, and it's an, anyway. Okie doke. <clears throat> I can say these things outside of liquid. So when a person becomes upset, right, it literally interferes with the ability to think clearly. So each and every time we remain calm, it makes it easier and easier the next time, the next time, the next time. Now, if someone in your life suffers from emotional illness, diagnosed or otherwise, I want to share something with you that is going to be very therapeutic. It is not your job to fix them. It is not your job to cure them. It is not your job to educate them. Your job is to love and accept them. This doesn't mean that you let them run roughshod into your boundaries. We're going to discuss boundaries. What it does mean is sometimes we're waiting for that perfectly crafted sentence to introduce reality. And we think, if I could just explain to him and to her exactly what's going on, they're going to get it. They're not. If you've been banging your head against the wall for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, call it a day. You're knocking on the door and nobody's home. You know what it's like? You have a conversation with somebody, you know, maybe the cleaning lady or whomever, and they don't speak English, but you think if you just enunciate clearly enough, gesture wildly, and talk loudly, they're going to... Can you... Please, we make up our own sign language, you know? They, they can't hear. If you're not speaking English and you don't understand English, it doesn't matter how clear your English is. When you are speaking logically and rationally, the part of the brain is simply not activated. Let me explain like this. It's one of my favorite examples. There's a guy who wakes up one morning insisting he's a zombie. Turns to his wife and says, Honey, I'm a zombie. She says, you're not a zombie. Go back to bed. He goes, I'm telling you I'm a zombie. She says, I'm going to get your mother on the phone. And I think that would be enough to shake any guy into reality. <laughs> no dice. Gets mom on the phone. Mom says, what's the problem? 
Son says, Mom, I don't have a problem. Mother says, Sweetheart, I hear you think you're a zombie. He says, No, Mom, I know I'm a zombie. She said, Sweetheart, don't you think I would know if I gave birth to a zombie? He said, No, you know, Gamora guy, Kevin Zombies, later on in life. So she makes an appointment, goes on to psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, what's the problem? Now the guy's just getting exacerbated. He goes, I don't have a problem. Psychiatrist, I hear you think you're a zombie. Guy says, Doc, I know I'm a zombie. Psychiatrist, let me ask you one question Do zombies bleed? I said, of course we don't bleed. We're the undead. Psychiatrist says, okay. So he goes over to his desk drawer and takes out a pen, takes the man's finger, and goes. The man is staring at amazement, four or five minutes in complete silence. But he looks up and says, well, what do you know? Zombies do bleed. <laughs> People have their narrative. They have their story. They're going to cast you as the villain, the hero, the savior, the victim, whatever it is. There's no way to budge them from their story if this is their story that they've been telling themselves and you for so long. We think again that if we just have that perfectly crafted sentence, can introduce reality, get in and get out, they'll go, oh, I get it. It doesn't happen. What happens to you though, when you accept that, is you take a deep breath, you relax your shoulders, and the rest of your life is easier. Because you're not thinking that you have a job to make them better, to make them healthier, to make them whole. If you're that therapist, okay. If not, our job is to love and accept them. There's a reason they're in life. Again, it doesn't mean that we tolerate intolerable behavior. It does mean that we're not going to try to introduce a reality and infrastructure that's void of reason and rationale. It doesn't happen. Okay. Again, those of you that are not familiar with my speaking, anyone at any point, you can ask any question at any time. If anything is not clear, you want an example, you want me to speed up, slow down, whatever you need, you tell me. That was fast, yeah. What happens if you try to keep reaching out to a relative, whoever, and they don't respond? I mean, just don't respond ever. Excellent question. The question is, what happens if you keep reaching out to a relative and you don't respond? So without getting into the nitty gritty, it's like this. Chazal tell us that if we've done something wrong to somebody, or there is a perceived injustice, we may not think we've done anything wrong, maybe it's a misunderstanding, or that they nonetheless believe we have an obligation to three times, to at three different, uh, in three different ways, to try to, to placate them and to, uh, to, to, to make things right. I wrote a book called Seek Peace and Pursue It, which is a very nice book, which actually walks through a lot of how to deal with, what's that? I thought someone asked me to repeat the title. <laughs> uh, they say people hear what they want to hear. Thank you. Um, <coughs> seek peace and pursue it. Come on. <laughs> right faster, people. Um, actually, I think it's even out of print anyway. So, uh, But you can probably find a you know, used copy for like $8 billion on Amazon. Uh, so, but I'm going to save you the money now. Uh, so, but basically, is you want to be able to uh, to placate the person, depending on the dynamics. Now, what's a very good technique, by the way, if we've done wrong to somebody, and we're just going to take a short break in this direction because it's really not the theme here, but it's important. If there is something that you know there is an injustice or something where this person feels we've done something, and there's an estrangement. One of the best things you can do is, first off, the answer to your question is, how many times should you try? As long as they are not, um, there's two criteria, as long as they do not tell you to stop, and it does not drain the emotional life out of you, meaning you don't send it with the expectation you're going to get a text right back. You can do it 
and know that you're doing your stardust, you're doing your effort, and it's not going to you know, have you lying in bed for three days because you know, you're just on pins and needles. So if you can do it in that way, and they're not telling you to stop, I always see the wisdom in that gentle, the water on the rock persistence. However, there is something else that can be very, very effective. And that is that what happens is when we do something wrong to somebody else, there's a just injustice or perceived injustice. You want to balance out that power. So one technique would be, for example, is let's say this person just lives in another city and they don't want contact with you. If you write a letter and you go and you leave it there and then you go back home, yeah, what you're showing is you put an effort without any expectation. You've put an effort and haven't gotten anything back. And that's exactly what they need to some degree to help restore the balance of power. Because they feel like you took away their, their control or their rights or something. There's an imbalance there. So when you put effort and energy into the relationship without expectation, that is when you might find a little bit of a break and a little bit of a light coming through. Okay, excellent question. So. Again, the third point is, if someone in your life is, uh, suffers with emotional illness, diagnosed or otherwise, it is not your job to fix them, it is not your job to cure them, your job is to love and accept them. You know, no one wakes up in the morning saying, how can I make your life miserable? Hmm. Let me get my pen and paper out. Let's see, I'll come over without calling. Ooh, no, I'll call and then hang up and then come over. Right? They don't, nobody wants to be miserable. Nobody wants to be. So if whatever degree we're able to muster empathy would be a very good thing. Empathy is not sympathy. Did I cover this at all in any of the talks? Difference? Yeah? Okay. What? I did? Okay, fine. So empathy is about connection. Sympathy is about disconnection. If you're really able generally to focus in on the other person, it can go a very, very long way. Okay. So those are just some things, just the basic the introduction, just to keep in, term, uh, in mind in terms of mindset. Now, when you're dealing with a difficult person, invariably you're going to have boundary breachers. The reason why you have boundary breachers is as follows. is because if I don't have a clear definition of me, I have a fuzzy definition of we. I don't know where I end and you begin. It is very difficult for me to gauge that. Now, <clears throat> you're going to have uh, boundary issues in two different ways. You have the kind of person who comes into your space in an unhealthy way, we're going to learn how to deal with that. And you also have the kind of person who cuts other people off. It's like that, you know, that door that only swings one way. They don't mind extending themselves for you, but they can't let you into their space because of their own fears of being vulnerable, their own insecurities, their own stuff. So they don't want to risk that rejection of letting you come in to see the real them. So they're going to put this, now we have people like that in our lives, they are not the most difficult. They're harder to connect with because they have a hard time receiving love and accepting. But at the same time, they're going to be highly respectful of our boundaries because they've got big balls around theirs. The people who are the most challenging to us are the ones who come into our space and don't hear no. Okay. The challenge is this. Let me take a step back actually to understand psychology. Is that we're wired for connection. We're all wired to connect. So our greatest fear is that of disconnection. Our fear of disconnection is going to manifest differently. You will notice that every single personality disorder has one thing in common. 
They all seek the control. Because a surrogate, the counterfeit to connection, is control. If I can't connect with you in a healthy way, I'm going to seek to control you. Now, the challenge for us, if we are those really nice, easygoing kind of people who just want to make nice, those people take advantage of us. Because they know we have the same fear they do, that of disconnection. So their threat is... The unknown. Their threat is, I'm going to do something to you. Whether we're consciously aware of it or not, when somebody comes into our space and we put up that boundary line and say, no thank you, take a step back, it makes us very uncomfortable. Because we don't know what's happening on the other side. So they keep on banging at the door and we let them in because it calms down our anxiety. Because we now know the trajectory of this relationship, this conversation, this interaction. It becomes a known. So, how do you deal with somebody that won't deal? How do you deal with a difficult person that's not willing, able to accept your boundaries? Okay? And before we go on, any questions? I want to make sure everything is good? This person does not hear no. They are persistent and they push and they push and they push. You've got to know that going in. That's their job description, the push. So, in much the same way that if you were to park your car in a bad neighborhood and you don't want it stolen, you wouldn't leave a sign in the car that says, please don't steal my car. <laughs> right? Because why? People who respect boundaries are not going to steal your car. People who don't respect boundaries, what good is that sign going to do? The only way people respond is through action, through consequence. And by the way, let me be abundantly clear here, is when it comes to immediate family, particularly with parents, it is, you have a lot of ramifications that we, in, in any relationship, but particularly there, it has, this has to be done under the guidance of a competent Rav, competent meaning a Rav who is familiar with this area, familiar maybe with personality disorders and so on, who understands this space. Because there is no such thing as just be nice, just play nice, just give. Yeah, because you give and then it's an inch and then it's a foot and then it's everything. So there are times when you have to draw a boundary line, but it has to be done with a scalpel, not a saw. It has to be done judiciously, smartly, because it's not just, not just, but it, it's, there are certainly halakhic ramifications, but for ourselves, when we draw that boundary line, it can't be done out of anger, it can't be done out of, I've had enough, it can't be done out of frustration, because then it becomes ego-oriented. It has to be done under the recognition that this is the only way to optimize the relationship. You're doing this for the relationship, for yourself, and for that person. Meaning, you, this relationship is no longer tenable. One of you are going to end up just kaput. Right? So it's not working. The only way to make this work is by drawing a boundary. And here's the thing. Boundaries are not meant to keep people out of our lives. Boundaries are meant to define our personal sense of space, responsibility, and obligation. Every relationship needs boundaries. The healthiest of relationship has boundaries. In the beginning of Horatius, Hashem defines and delineates all of creation. Everything needs its own space, its own borders. That's how we grow. 
So when somebody comes into your space under the pretense that, no, this makes us closer, but you don't want them in their space. Yeah. Let me share something with you. We spoke last night about Cherech, but this is so valuable when it comes to adults as well. There's someone in my neighborhood, a couple doors away, whatever, I don't know, he's 40 years old, he's a big lot of question marks about this fellow. Say it like that. I mean, every community has them, and it's, you know, doesn't make him a bad person, just makes him someone who you may not want, you know, your kids around. So, what happens is this lovely, uh, uh, this is rough in town, happens to be in the, in the shul, which I, I, I is next door to me. Uh, I mean, it's like, what, well, there's a shul next door to everybody, but the shul next door to me, and this guy comes over to my then maybe 12-year-old son, sees him, whatever, gives him a big hug, and so on. This guy who's about, you know, I don't know, you know, my, my friend, the rogue, I don't know, he's like six something, whatever, goes to this, you know, this 40-year-old kid and says, if I ever see you hug another kid again, I'm going to put you through that wall. And the guy responds, rebels give brachas and they hug and they give a kiss to people all the time. He said, you're not a rebel. So, what happens? This guy hightails it out, calls me up, and says, I want to tell you something. He tells me this scene that unfolded, and he goes, you're going to want to tell you something to stay away from this guy. I said, I appreciate your calling, but I'm not going to do that. He goes, no, 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 no. Dave, let me explain what happened. I go, I appreciate you telling me I'm not going to do that. He said, why? And here's what I told him. If I tell my son to stay away from this guy, what has my son learned about boundaries? No, nothing. What does he learn? How does he learn? We are going to encounter what I told him. We all encounter people who breach boundaries. They breach our emotional boundaries, our psychological boundaries, our physical boundaries. We have people, they come into our space. I would rather my son learn how to navigate that space because this won't be the first time, unfortunately, someone comes into his space and he's one of those like happy, you know, very sweet, you know, edel and, and not, there's no rough edges on him. He assumes and sees the good in everyone. You know, like his father. He's very, you know, it's just that he's a, not one of those like, you know, like tough, rough kids who look at everyone sort of askance. He greets people with a smile and, and he is, him, somebody like that is that sweet spot target, by the way, just so you know, for, you know, unnice people. By the way, am I okay drifting in this area, Rabbi? Is this, uh, yeah? Okay, fine. Um, I just, I'm going to share with you why it becomes negated to us. But, uh, so what happened was, uh, so I told my son, I said, when so-and-so came over to you, were you uncomfortable? He said, yeah. I said, why didn't you tell him, what are you doing? Give him a whack and tell him to take a step back. My son said what any child will say, by the way. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want to offend him. He comes over, other people are there. So what I explained to him is what we'll look, just cover very quickly here, and that is, is that no matter what it is, if a person is emotionally healthy, and you tell them this is not a boundary line I'm comfortable with, they will take a step back and apologize. Like you would. <laughs> if the person's not healthy, 
they're going to get offended and take a step forward and ask you for an apology. So I told him, and we worked through, I said, now, what is your comfort level with this guy? Do you want to, when you see him, just turn the other way? And it was, he was very cute. He goes, well, you know, if I take down the garbage, is he there? He goes, maybe I could wave. And then he'll wave. So, so we ended up with, he would be comfortable waving from a distance. And I said, what happens when he comes too close to you? What are you going to do? And I walked through. Simply going to put us in there. That's, that's close enough, thanks. That's it. That's it. Now, when he moves through life, the next time somebody comes along, that's, yeah, that's okay. In our lives, we have grown up taught to respect authority, which obviously we should. But blind obedience to somebody that requests something, asks us, asks us of something, even though it's not good, and part of us knows I shouldn't be doing this. Again, here's the thing. We're not allowed to put a stumbling block to make it difficult for someone to do something wrong. So I want to share with you one of the best techniques that I found for good people that get taken advantage of by not good people. And I explained to them is this. Don't do it for you. Do it for them. You're doing a mitzvah for them. If you make it easy for them to take advantage of you, you're injuring them. So oftentimes, we won't do it for ourselves, but we'll do it for the other person. So I'll draw that boundary line because I know I'm doing them a favor. It's like, you know, you're collecting tzedakah, someone's collecting tzedakah. The person who's asking for the money is doing the other person a favor. We give a dollar, a hundred dollars, whatever, we give the money, we think we're doing them the favor. No, they're the shaliach, they're doing us the favor. That's the mitzvah, that's the reality. And to here, when you've got someone in your life who is breaching a boundary, we're doing them the favor by drawing that line. And by the way, that line is drawn with love and compassion. And I mentioned last night, you know what, actually it wasn't in the talk, some people asked me afterwards, when you've got to punish a child, it's the same way you draw this boundary line, you punish a child, it doesn't have to be done angrily. I send my kids off in the timeout plenty of times with a hug, a kiss, I love you, you are so amazing, you're the best, off the timeout. It doesn't have to be, I can't believe, I why? The fact that a child does something that we don't want them to be doing doesn't mean that we have to become angry. What are we teaching them? People do things you don't like, you become angry. So this line is drawn with the same amount of empathy. I really appreciate you in my life. I really respect you. I, I, I again, whatever the dynamics are, right? This is not something I'm just comfortable with. Now, what's their job after we say this is not something I'm comfortable with? Well, that would be nice if they did, but they're going to push. You have to expect they're going to push back. Because if they heard a no thank you now, they would have heard the no's, the subtle no's a thousand times before. They're going to say, what do you mean? You've always said this. You've always done this. Aren't you a good friend? They will laden on now the guilt and the shame. Slather it on. Because you don't want to feel like a bad person. They know this. You want to feel like a good person because you want to see yourself as a good person because you are a good person. So if they can make you feel like a bad person because you're not doing what they want, you will, out of guilt and shame, give them what they want. <laughs> to take yourself out of pain. You see how manipulative this is? If you were really a friend, you would lend me the money. If you were really a good person, you would let me do this. If you were really this, they define what it means to be a good person, a good friend, a good neighbor, a good whatever, 
And if you don't do it, you're now bad. And make no mistake, dealing with difficult people, it will feel so uncomfortable because it's not your nature, it's theirs. You're moving into their space. Their space is one of confrontation. They feed off it. They love the drama. What does drama require? Whether it's a book, a movie, real life, drama requires conflict. I can't have drama if I don't have conflict. It has to be, yeah. So they thrive. They love the energy of this. You think you're going to wear them down? No. They will win if you play their game, if you go into their space. That's why you've got to draw that line. Depending on the relationship, obviously it depends on where that line is. You take a step back, expect two things. Expect yourself to feel uncomfortable. Expect them to keep on pushing. You can know what's going to happen predictably. And when you can predict it, you help to make that unknown a known. Because they're reading from a script that is the same script, time and again. It's the same story. You know what it is. It's the same, you know, different, plug in different variables, it's the same story. Okay, questions please. Yes, please. So you said that um, when you push back, they're going to push forward. Yes. Yeah. So where, where does the disengagement stop? How do you retain that space? Excellent. Right. So what, what this young lady is saying is, okay, fine. They're going to push forward. We're going to take a step back. Where does this disengage? This disengagement can happen at different levels depending on the relationship. If you have a zero contact relationship, again, we're not talking about immediate family. Let's go beyond that scope because there are, there are a lot of nuances that come into it. Beyond the immediate family, you draw that boundary line and then you can decide. If, you, or if they can tolerate pleasantries, um, you know, uh, exchanging greetings, you know, the social niceties without coming to your space, then fine. If every time there's any engagement, eye contact, it's an opportunity to, for them, which it often is, to come into your space, a little Pesach, in which case they're gonna try and claw in, then you have to have zero tolerance policy where it, there is no contact because they will take any contact as an opportunity and make no mistake if they try and contact and reach out and then after 10 times you finally say what you've just trained them that they need to hit nine times in order to get a yes so you've made your job a lot harder okay. yes please what happens if there's like a, let's say health health issues outside of mental issues and I know anyone could say this, but what if there are really no other options of people that can help in those types of scenarios? Sure. Okay. Very good. So, look, if you got a situation where you may be like a caregiver, you may be the only person that can help out in a situation. First, you have to bring in your, your rov that can guide you on what your responsibilities are. That's uh, you've got to stay in my lane. You have to know what they are. Within the scope of that, there are a couple things to remember. Number one is that. Once again, everyone in our lives is a shliach, so there's something you're supposed to learn from this. It, often you might find an opportunity to revisit those emotions, to revisit those feelings, to revisit a lot of the past and work through it. It really is a gift sometimes to be able to, uh, to go back to that space, but as a different kind of person now and, and to, to work it through. But again, you, you need to have the guidance of Ruff who can tell you 
you know, what your responsibilities and obligations are, in which case you do what you need to do with simcha, with joy, and whatever you don't do, it's because you shouldn't be doing, and, you, and then you do not do what you shouldn't do guilt-free. Meaning, there's no reason to do what you have to do with anything less than full simcha, and there's no reason to not do what you're not supposed to do with feeling guilty. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Okay? So, so, we've covered just the idea now about the mindset first, and then we talked about boundaries, but what can we do to optimize our relationship? Right? Unless we're dealing with somebody who's a certified sociopath or psychopath, and they're different, even if they're a narcissist, there's still room here. You have different personality disorders and they get sloshy in terms of the definition, there's a lot of overlap, and so I, I, I don't like necessarily to categorize, but um, we all know that difficult person, whether they have a personality disorder or whatever it is. As we said before, they all have something in common, and that is the desire to control. Ultimately, what they want is connection. They want to feel loved. They want you to love them. They want to love you. Their challenge is this. Underneath, they suffer with very, very, very perverse low self-esteem. They hate themselves. Our narcissist is someone who suffers with self-loathing, someone who does not like themselves. It's not somebody, we assume it's somebody who has so much self-love, it is the opposite. They hate themselves. The ego, the Yetzirah, compensates for those feelings of guilt, inferiority, shame, the aspects of the self that they can't even acknowledge. Now, if you go so far into the extreme, you end up with shifting off or breaking off from that pathology to psychosis where a person actually has a break, meaning that they can't deal with reality anymore, and then unfortunately they end up with what we call a psychotic break, is they're no longer in touch with the real world. Okay? But a personality disorder, the, 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 these people are perfectly aware, aware of what it is they're doing. They justify it, they explain it, make no mistake, they think they're the good guy, but, and they've sold themselves the narrative, but underneath their neshama is still glowing and it knows the truth. And that's the living with this, this uh, dissonance, this discord, this disconnection, which is incredibly painful. So, on one hand, they want that love and connection. On the other hand, see, if I don't love me, I can't love you. At the same time, I want you to love me, but I'm not a Kaylee to hold it. Because when you show affection and kindness and respect and love to me, part of me thinks, why are you so nice to someone that's so unlovable? Right? So you can see how I become disconnected from other people. I have a hard time giving because I don't love me, so what am I giving? I have a hard time receiving. And this person becomes isolated. The very thing that they want is connection. So they are suffering in a Gehenna that is just unbelievable. So understanding that does help you know, us to be maybe a little bit more kind. Again, doesn't mean we let them come into our boundary. This helps to understand it. So what can we do then if they are so starving, they're so hungry for connection? So, something we've said at least maybe once, twice, is the idea of that empathy and validation. They don't feel heard, they don't feel validated, they don't feel understood, that much is clear. So when they're telling you some bubble mice, some story, some nonsense, whatever it is, a complete fabrication, you know, they, they, I just had lunch with the president, whatever it is, yeah? Listen, empathize, wow, exciting, painful, whatever the, whatever the emotion is, and validate their experience. I would encourage you not to try to bring them into your world, but enter their space. Okay? Enter their space knowing you're going into their space, whatever land that is. And what they want desperately is covet. They want respect because they're going to convert that to love. 
If you respect them, if you give them time, attention, um, show them kindness, they will feel more valuable themselves in the moment. And that is what they're starving for. So you're really feeding them. What we do sometimes is we do the opposite. They call, we pick up the phone and say, I saw you calling, go ahead, I've got two minutes, go ahead, what, what, what do you need? We think we're being a mentor, accomplish something productive, we're not. All they hear is, I'm not worth anything. So rather, by the way, just as uh, Hazal put you know, fences around halacha, we too, if you don't have the emotional bandwidth, you don't have the strength to deal with this person at this time, then simply don't pick up the call. Yeah, but even better than that, I encourage people to be proactive. When you have difficult people in your life, the, the, the thing we do is we always play defense rather than offense. Meaning, they call and we're constantly defensive. They come into our space, you know, they're driving the car, they're stuck in traffic. So they give us a call. We become their entertainment system. And then after an hour, we say, we've got to get off the phone. And we get up, all right, well, when you have time, you know, maybe you could give me a call. It's like, what have I just done? Right? So rather than them coming into your space, you go into theirs. Meaning, when you've got time, when you've got the energy, when you've got the interest, you give them a call. Let them be the say, say the one, oh, I can't talk right now. Okay, fine. One proactive phone call is worth 10 playing defense. Because when you call them, it shows you thought about them, you care about them, you want to talk to them. Even if it's 30 seconds, it's so valuable. Rather than always feeling like they're, they're um, coming to you, you go to them, come into their space. Yes, please, Ken. What's the opposite of that, where they call, I only got a minute, and I'll call you next week, and you don't hear from me. Okay, right. I, I, I can't begin to imagine how painful those conversations can be, particularly with someone who you want to connect with. Um, but, um, you know, that person isn't as, it, they're, they're not difficult. The relationship is in, you know, ill repair, right? It's, it's not in good shape. So the person may not be a difficult person. It's, a, it's really a relationship issue, not so much a person issue. So you've got dynamics. Um, so uh, let me just try and help you just a little bit and then we'll, we'll shift back. So you're going to want to ask yourself, what is it that they want in this relationship, right? What is it that I'm doing or not doing that has been their complaint for a very long time, right? Often they've been saying something. We're not willing to cede ground to sort of acknowledge it, give it. Sometimes again, I don't know what the dynamics are. But you want to ask yourself really, what is it that they want from this relationship? And then ask yourself, you know, if you're willing to give it. Uh, and then you can sort of get the relationship on track. But again, we can't say this is a difficult person or not. It's a relationship challenge. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's a little different dynamic. Okay. You have to ask the person. Sorry? You have to ask the person what do you want out of our relationship? Right. So I'll tell you, 99 of 100 times, we already know what it is. You know what it is, right? We, we, we know what it is. We know what they've been asking for. We just don't want, or just don't want to or can't give it to them. It's usually abundantly obvious. If you don't know, yes, yeah, certainly you can ask. But, but in these types of relationships where it's, 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 we're trying to make the effort, again, we're not, this is not so much a discussion on that kind of person. It's a little different dynamic because we're trying to make the effort to have a relationship and they're holding back. That's not necessarily, I mean, it could be a difficult person, but that's not someone that's going to be coming into our space. This is someone, remember we said at the beginning, who's not letting us into their space. Right, so you have a little different dynamic. A question in the back, yes, please. Kind of like a concept, how does that relate to establishing and maintaining Excellent. So I'm speaking about those relationships where you've got contact, 
where there is, you know, the, you, you have not drawn that boundary line in the zero contact, where, 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 where before you get to that point. So we, we started first with different mindsets to understand, you know, dealing with a difficult person, that they're shliach, um, and to have empathy, and to know that, you know, they're coming from an emotional place, not a rational place. What, what we then looked at were boundaries and in terms of where and how we draw them. So if you've got that hard line, you're right, there's no contact. But before you get to that point, and if there's a softer line, there's still some interaction, right, you're able to engage to some degree, that's when I encourage a full court press to be more offensive. Because again, when you come into their space, they feel it as you care. They are always going into that, which is why, by the way, one of the best things you can do with this kind of person is, you're all gonna groan when you hear this, by the way, because you know how the conversation is gonna go, but it's so powerful. You ask them for their advice. Oh, like, oh man, because what happens when you ask them for advice? How long will they be talking for? Right, you need a calendar watch. They will go on and on, why? Because they're always taking in some form or fashion. We are wired to connect, which means we have to give and receive. But they're always on the taking end. They want other people, to, because they're egocentricity, they're bringing everything into their Dalai they, they suck everything, everybody into their space. So when you come in, you reawaken that spark of the neshama that wants to give, and you say, I, you know what, you have such a talent, such a, a passion for this, can you help me in an authentic way? You, you are not going to believe what that does to them. And to the, they'll be like, oh, of course, they're going to be so uh, appreciative that you have, they have the opportunity to glow. And then, listen to this. You have, first off, the protocols like this. You ask them for advice on something that you can take. Don't ask them, what should I name my first kid? You know, because they'll say, I always like the name Sparky, you know, and you're stuck. So, you know what, do you think I should rent or lease this? Think I should paint the basement gray or dark gray? Yeah, confine it to something that they maybe have an affinity for, a passion for, an interest in, whatever it is, whether it's gardening or music or toy. It's something that is their sweet spot, that they take pride in. Ask them for advice on that. You take their advice and listen for the next part, which you'll grown to also. You follow up with a small note, a note of appreciation for a couple of reasons. If you call them, it's gone. If you text them, okay, fine. I can't tell you, by the way, how many times people have shown me text and they say, oh, we've got a great relationship. They'll be scrolling from, until like 1974, you know, about when the person said, hey, thanks so much for something. So the note, it will, they will show it, they will put it out, it will go everywhere, public, that they can, look, look who asked for my advice. Yeah, look who, yeah, because everybody wants most people want that recognition, that acknowledgement. These people are starving for it. One of my favorite stories about this guy who goes to, his mother goes to wake up her son for chakras. The sweetheart, you have to get up for chakras. The son says, Mom, I'm not getting up. Mother says, sweetheart, it's time, you have to get up for chakras. And the son says, Mom, give me two reasons why I'm not going to shul. One, no one there likes me. Two, I don't like anyone there. The mother says, sweetheart, I'm gonna give you two reasons why you're gonna get up for shul. She goes, one, you're 40 years old. <laughs> Two, you're the rabbi. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to feel 
recognized importance. That you know what, I appreciate the effort, I appreciate the time. People are people. Doesn't matter what position. So when you have somebody who is difficult, they are starving for someone to genuinely say, hey, wow, great job. Or can I ask for your advice? Can I ask for your input? You know, you all reasonably healthy people, with the exception of two of you, which I've noted, by the way. <laughs> Usually those with nervous laughter. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> My man. <laughs> kind of church, yeah. Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> you know how good you feel when someone says to you, by the way, I really appreciate that, or I heard that, whatever it is, and thanks for that. Take somebody who is suffering with so low self-esteem, they feel so unworthy, and you ask them for their advice, they will come to life and you follow it up. They'll, by the way, make no mistake, they will tell the world, guess who asked me for advice? Guess who came to me? Yeah. So powerful. Okay, because, oh, yes please. Perfect. So, great case. This young woman says, so what happens if you have somebody who comes to you with a fabricated story and you're validating? Aren't you just encouraging or enabling, right, the buzzword, someone to continue to do that, right? So, I, my, my, the, the conversation goes as this. Can we have a conversation on this? Great. Tell me how well the alternative of telling them that they're lying has been working out for you. <laughs> In one ear, out the other. It, and, and you're lucky it even goes one in one ear, right? It doesn't, you know, guys, something. If somebody is, has their narrative, remember the zombie, if somebody has a narrative constructed, this is their personal narrative, this is how they get through the day, this is, these are the lies they tell themselves in order to live, to breathe, without the world crashing in. Do not think you're going to come along and destroy their personal narrative. This is their story. You are not going to rewrite it for them. What you can do, if you want to be effective, is listen, engage, empathize, validate. You're going to find something near magical happens. When you validate the story, what you're telling them is, I can see why you're in pain. I can see why this is causing so much distress. If this was my experience, I would also be in distress. Their guard will drop. You will find they will change the version of the story and they will feel much less need, it will be much less necessary for them to tell you more of these stories. Do you understand? We think by starving somebody that we're going to fill them up. I'm not going to give them the attention because it'll just make them come back for more. So I'm going to starve them. I'm going to make them hungrier. It's insane. It doesn't work. When you feed somebody, you help them to feel more full. A person like this is starving for attention, affection, interest, validation. Nobody is giving it to them. I want you to know, there's a woman who calls me, I don't know, for the past five, six years. This, I don't know, I mean, she's got a lot going on. She, I don't, she has so much going on. She's really like 
I, I, I'm always careful because I never know where these recordings go. Let's just say she, she's going through a lot, has been through a lot, and she suffers with I don't know how many different mental disorders all at the same time. When she calls me, I've, I learned, you know, after, you know, year number three, you know, it's not for advice. Not for advice. I just listen, I validate, and then when she gets off the phone, she always says, Dr. Lieberman, thank you. You're the only person who actually listens to me. She's not going to, I'm not going to change her. Sadly, I know that. So what I'm doing, it's a chesed. It's a kindness. And by the way, I'm, I'm no tzaddik. It's not like every time I see her number, I pick up. It's otherwise, I'd be on the phone right now. But when I can, I have the space. I recognize this is chesed. It's not therapy. It's chesed, which in and of itself, right? But it's, it's, it's kindness. She's never, ever going to listen to a thing I say. I know that. That's okay. Doesn't mean it's not therapeutic value. There's something that I can offer to give her because of which, whatever space she's in. And there's a value in that. All right? But I know the temptation to try to introduce reality, but it just doesn't happen. So do your best to avoid that temptation. Yeah. Well, what are you validating? Excellent. Somebody called you and they're... Go. You, let's do real life here. Somebody call, I'm you, you're that person. Hit me with whatever crazy thing, I'll show you how it works. Please. I didn't get invited to the party, and my feelings are hurt, and nobody likes me. How old is this hypothetical person, by the way? <laughs> like eight or eighty? <laughs> Older? Seventy-five. Seventy-five. Okay. So what I can say is not going to work. Is what are you talking about? It was a party for such and such. They weren't going to invite you anyway. What do you need that party for? Or, yeah, people like you, this and that. Or if you wouldn't be so grouchy, people would like... All that stuff, as you well know, doesn't work, correct? Great. So, I'm a big fan of not doing what doesn't work, okay? So, we know. You want to be that fan too? Makes a lot of sense. Don't do what doesn't work. Here's what will work. When he calls you up and he says he's upset that he wasn't invited to the party, he knows you don't, you're, you're, unless you're, you know, Willy Wonka that's going to give him the golden ticket, he's not coming to the party. What he wants to hear is, oh my gosh, that party, I, I, I can see why that bothers you. It, it might have been nice to go. Yeah, he'd be like, yeah, I know. Don't you, walk me through that conversation. I tell you that, you're this guy. I, walk me through, what is he going to respond when I say, I, I, I can see why you're so bothered by this. It would have been a nice party. All right, you know, their loss. But, I, but oh, that's got to be so disappointing for you. What is he going to say? Thank you. Yeah, it's very disappointing. It is, I know. All right, you know what? If I had a party, you'd be the first guy on my list. <laughs> There is nothing you're going to do. He's calling to commiserate, to complain because he feels bad, he feels rejected. So now you're going to reject him further? Or worse than reject him, you're going to tell him how he's feeling isn't true? What are you making a big deal about it? The very thing he wants of connection, you're now taking your scissors and cutting it. Why? Because it's reasonable and logical as you are, but he's not. When a 75-year-old calls to complain he wasn't invited to a party, imagine he's a 7-year-old with that same call. You're not going to say, get over it. You're going to say, oh, I can see how disappointing that is for you. You know what? You're so much fun at parties. You're going to be first on my list. Yeah? That's all he wants. Okay, a couple questions. Yes, please, ma'am. Does the conversation go the same way with a healthy person? What? Would the conversation go the same way as a healthy person? 
Of course, look, all, even the best amongst us sometimes is going to be disappointed that something didn't happen. Is that what you're saying? Excellent. Right. So there's, there's, yes, there are times for logical discussions, but here's the thing to appreciate, please. No one is going to care what you know till they know that you care. You are not going to be able to explain the facts up until the point that you validated their experience. Because up until the point I tell you what you're believing, what you're seeing, what you're feeling is true, you're going to keep telling me my story. So I can say, what are you talking about? You were, you were invited this and that. We're arguing because I haven't validated your experience. As soon as I do, you let your guard down, you feel heard, you feel understood, in which case now I can float a different perspective. We talk about introducing reality, what we're really saying is my perspective is reality, yours is not, right? We don't know whether there's a he said, she said, and then there's a truth. So there may be an objective reality, and we believe it's our perspective. They believe it's their perspective. While they're locked into their perspective, which the ego does, they will never see through your lens. They drop their their, their ego, their guard, here's where you float out another perspective. I'm not wondering if maybe, right now, what he will say to his friend in that conversation once he's empathized and validated, had that connection, I'm not wondering if maybe the party was only open to ladies. I'm not wondering if it's possible that they, they wanted, you know, XYZ crowd there or something like that. Now he's going to float a possibility of a different perspective, a different way of looking at it. But if he would have jumped into that and said, I wasn't invited. He said, no, it was only, he goes, no, what he, he would have been an argument. He never, the relationship would have suffered whether or not he made his point. Do you, you, hear, you hear the difference? Okay, excellent question. All the way in the back, please. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Love it, love it, love it. So to deal with that, uh, you, you please clarify the first part of the question for me. To deal with that is easy. That's when you go to a higher authority. This is done a lot in, in business, um, and certainly it's effective when dealing with these types of people. This is where it's no longer in your domain. Meaning, oh, event. First off, again, the, nobody minds you not taking their advice. They mind being rejected. When you can't take this person's advice, here's the protocol. You give them two reasons why you, I'm sorry, take a step back. You thank them for giving it to you. They took the time to think about it. Oh, Moish, you've got everything going on. You're not invited to the party. And here you are thinking about, you know, what's going on with me and whether I should expand the wall, not just this. You are so amazing. I so appreciate that. Acknowledge that they took the effort. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and speak it over with the missus. And uh, we're going to give it some thought. I want to get back to you on that. You be proactive. You don't wait for him to call and chase you down because you know he's waiting with bated breath. You call him up and say, oh, I'm so glad I got you. Ah, he's never heard that. I'm so glad I got you. We loved your idea about doing that. You give two reasons why you like it. It makes so much sense because we'll get more air and this and that. It turns out we can't do it because, and then you just blame some third party, some third thing, whatever it is, nothing to do with you. It's not about, I don't like your idea. Your idea is brilliant. Because what happens is when a person has low self-esteem, that egocentricity means, they can never be wrong, not just they can never be wrong, anything they like, their values, their ideas, their preference, if that's the best pecan pie they ever had, you better agree with it, 
right? There's nothing about them that comes into the Dalit Amis that you can't also think is fantastic if they do. It doesn't work that way. So you've got to tell them, I love it, I appreciate it, wonderful. It doesn't work for the following reason. Here now you're rejecting, rejecting their advice rather than rejecting them. That is what's going to sting, rejecting them, not their advice. I apologize just because I, I've, I've got to run uh, for the flight. Um, let me just thank you all, the community, for everyone just being so amazing, lovely. This is a beautiful Shabbat's home. We covered a lot of ideas. I appreciate everyone's feedback, your engagement. As the Rev said, on Tarni time, I've got uh, about 200 talks. I've like 13 books on different areas of interpersonal relationships, communication. Hopefully you'll find some value in that as well. And just to remind ourselves when dealing with difficult people, the quality of our lives and the quality of our relationships are interwoven. So when we improve relationships with difficult people and we try and put our own ego aside and help connect with them, it not only is a chesed for that person, but also de facto will improve the quality of our own lives. With that, I thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Mr. Mann. It's I would like you to be my shliach, Mr. I will take that. care of that, sure. Thank you so much. I'll be in much. touch. Good. Okay. Thanks so much, David. Uh, really uh, a gift to meet you, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. I'm your right. Thank you so much for coming. I'll be able to look out for the recap email coming in tomorrow. Thank you again. You're the man. I don't want to breach boundaries. <laughs> Yeah, you're amazing. It's a great community. It's really it's just us. Okay, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can we just do that? Yeah. So, here you go. I'm asking. I just, I, I better just think of my kids.